Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to another episode of Syrupcast. I am Daniel Bader and... If you haven't been following, the Syrupcast is still very much alive. It's it's limping, it's not wearing any pants, but it's still here. No pants. As always, I am joined by Douglas Soltis, my partner in, in pod. Um, we are podcasting on Friday morning. It is sunny outside. Douglas, yeah. how's your head today? Uh... My head sucks, man. I'm, I'm Why? S- I'm sick, and I'm dirty, and I'm tired, and I'm pantsless, and I'm potting. Because the people want it. <laughs> so you got bedhead. I like that. I got, if you're I, not watching this live or on YouTube, you really should. You should switch off your, your MP3. You should turn off your overcast. You should um, shut down your pocket casts. Well, actually, pocket cast supports videos. You should um, it's actually, Raul your Castro. It's not the worst with the headphone. It's no, not, it, I, I, got I, I think body. it's very stylish. Distracts from my face, which is always key. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. Um, so let's talk a little bit about why we haven't been podcasting. Because it's not like we just decided to... Well, it's not entirely why we decided to just stop podcasting for a month i showed up every week same time just sat here with a microphone and nothing happened i don't know how this runs if daniel doesn't show up nothing happens so daniel didn't show up uh because daniel got married so i that's not that didn't happen over a month this this wasn't some (laughs) epic like month-long wedding but it did feel like a little um but i decided to take a few weeks off afterwards uh to sort of uh re what's what's that uh peggle term re something the spleens um the splines re recalibrate reticulate the spleens i i think you were busy consummating with your wife is what you were doing i don't know what you're doing with your spleen but oh no 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 whatever nothing was what, going on with the spleen whatever's your bag and man and we're not talking about that on the podcast uh, but I did get married. I am uh, now wearing a wedding ring and uh, very happy. And that was a really, really cool day. Um, you were there. You hopefully enjoyed yourself. There's a couple of salacious photos of us grinding up on each other a little bit. No, slow dancing. We were slow dancing. Oh, no, no. That, that's how it started. <laughs> if you don't recall, yeah. uh, things took a turn. Oh. But I, I didn't enjoy myself. You tried to murder me with alcohol. You, you called me out in front of a, an auditorium full of people to try and oh, murder I did. me with booze. So Douglas, Douglas was at a table that, well, it's not my fault. You played a drinking game. Jane McIntaggart. Deci- Jane McIntaggart, who flew here 
um, all the way from somewhere. Uh, was so happy. We were so happy that she came, and uh, she decided to start Ruin the wedding. drinking game, <laughs> where during the speeches, if you said a certain word, or if somebody said a certain word, you had to drink. So, what was your word, Doug? Um. Yes, your word was um. That wasn't the smartest word to pick. No. It's not like I had a choice, although the irony is is that I put that word in hoping that Jane would get it because I didn't want to play the game. Oh, you didn't pick your own word? No, you just randomly dropped. Yeah, because I strategically thought that um would be the best word to choose at a wedding. I don't know. I thought maybe you, th- my fam- you thought my family was super articulate and we never ummed and awed or whatever. I was, I, was, I was flying through those speeches until the maid of honor just train wrecked on that microphone. <laughs> Yeah, so it was a good night. And uh, after that, we had, a, we had a really busy September. So there was the iPhone 6S launch. There was the Nexus 6P and 5X launch. There were a few Microsoft launches. Uh, well, one Microsoft launch with a bunch of different devices. And uh, as the mobile industry is wont to do, uh, things kept moving, regardless of whether we podcasted. So suffice it to say, we have a few topics to... Uh, to, to kill today. How about them Jays? Starting <laughs> at the top of the list. Yeah, let's let's start there. Um, I I don't know if we have any American listeners here, but suck at Texas. Uh, we had one of the best. It was just such a great experience being in Toronto on Wednesday night. It really was. Um, we were at the office watching the game. You had to. Oh, you weren't there. You you were at home swearing at your. Computer. I was home at home throwing things in my kitchen um, at, at li- living animals and, and literally like pacing the kitchen because I couldn't sit and watch anymore. And, and then I just felt my chest get super tight. And I realized yeah, you, that I haven't, a bad day. haven't really followed the Jays in 20 years, right? And I've, had a, I've been carrying my weight. I'm a Raptors fan. I know what it's like. And there was just a moment during that game when the umpires were reviewing their review of the review, where I was just like, I don't have the emotional strength to support two Toronto sports teams. Mm, but then Joey right. bats. Yeah. Seventh inning was uh, one to remember. It was unlike anything in sports I think I've ever seen. It was something else. But it was also really frustrating because baseball is such a slow sport in the sense that nothing really happens until something happens. And you kind of live for those moments, right? Mm -hmm. You live for those errors. You live for those home runs. And then you get all hype and you get all into it. And then, you know, the seventh inning ends. And it's not like the game was boring after that, but it never quite hit that peak again. It was an emotional Um, release. Yeah, I mean, Asuna... You know, pitching in the ninth was was like some serious uh, tension. But you know, we that all kid knew that wasn't was even born the last time the Jays were in the playoffs. Was not alive. Was not alive the last time the Jays were in the playoffs. He's twenty oh, years old, right. and he's, he's the youngest pitcher to ever get an, a postseason save in the MLB. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. He's twenty years old. <clears throat> Unbelievable. If the, the game was in Texas, he wouldn't have been able to drink any of the champagne afterwards. That's how young that kid is. <laughs> Thank God he's in Canada, yeah. right? Respect. So, 
And then there's uh, basketball. We haven't really uh, touched on basketball because it, it's not back yet. But preseason, uh, Raptors home opener started uh, on the 12th uh, preseason against Minnesota. I think they won. I don't think it really matters. But but they, they played the home opener in Ottawa. Oh, they did? Oh, yeah. okay. Shows what I know. I thought they were um, so, debuting the new so well, court design. They have a beautiful new We the North court design that's really, really sweet. <clears throat> yeah. And when's the when's the home open? That it, I don't know. I just know like sport basketball starts around October and doesn't really matter till December, till Christmas Day. But yeah, I don't know. The the Raptors, it'll be I I we sh- it's preseason. We shouldn't talk about that. We should we should talk uh we should talk about Toronto FC making the playoffs for the first time in the history of the football club on an amazing goal that uh you know, very few people in Toronto saw, but those that did uh, freaked the hell out. Yeah, the four people that watched that TFC game during the Jays game really, really freaked it out. Yeah. I don't know. So we are the best. Toronto is the best. And now we can talk about tech. Yeah, no, I just we have to wait until we hit 10 minutes. So let's just sit here in silence for about a minute and a half. We can talk more about your wedding. That's cool. Let's talk about tech. Let's let's go uh, into what people are are actually here to listen to. Although I think people are increasingly impressed by our amazing sports knowledge. Not oh, what is that? Are you it's a bottle, are man. you pressing a French press in front of I'm me? I'm pressing on the pod. This is how little we care about you people. We don't do a podcast for a month, and now you are listening to me. Uh, French press my coffee. Oh, I already had my French press. It was awesome. So, so let's start with uh, the iPhone, because that was the first up since the last time. Even though we spent the entire uh, episode last time talking about Apple, that was a month ago, and that was before the embargoes lifted. So uh, mm-hmm. I did my iPhone 6S, 6S Plus review. I'll say two things. Uh, 3D Touch is not just something that Android OEMs can imitate hardware-wise. What's, what's happened in the last month is that Apple's very rudimentary implementation of 3D Touch, which is this pressure-sensitive feature, uh, you know, it has some capacitive sensors underneath the screen, it detects pressures, um, different levels of pressure, it has a bunch of different gestures built into the OS. but what I found is that none of Apple's um, apps really, really take advantage of it, other than Safari, obviously. But what's really cool is that now we're seeing developers, and in particular, a few of my favorite developers, Dropbox, Evernote, um, City Mapper. Uh, there's another one, Tweetbot. Tweetbot just added awesome peak pop. Tweet. That's, any Twitter app is a great example of why this is so useful, because so many times people will get pulled into Twitter because something ha- has happened through a notification or there's a specific action they want to perform. Only only the truly bored are like, oh, I'm sitting around on my mobile. I'm on the streetcar. Let me check Twitter to see if anything's happening. You're always going in to do something. Retweet, fave, you know, Jays, Joey Bats. So to have those quick actions or just like exemplify how useful interfaces can be when done right. 
Yeah, it's one of those things where I, I brushed it off a little bit in the review because I, I really hadn't spent a lot of time with it, and there was really nothing out there that took advantage of it before the embargo lifted. And what you what you realize with Apple developers is that they really want to implement these features as quickly as possible. And they'll experiment. You know, some companies have just added quick actions on the home screen. Others have tried peek and pop. And a lot of them are saying, we'll try what we can do now with the SDK, and then mm -hmm. we'll experiment and add more as it goes. Uh, one of the cool implementations is in uh, AG Drive, which is a uh, kind of a wipeout-like uh, racer, where you can press harder on the screen to uh, throttle, and it doesn't feel like, it doesn't sound like that would be a big deal, but in reality, it's, it's the equivalent of having that joystick and being able to push down and hear that click. Um, you know, I was, I was playing Halo 5 last night on Xbox One, and... Uh, Brag. Yeah, <laughs> humble brag. And I I really like the you know those tactile controls and you'll never quite get that without a true mobile controller, but I don't really I don't really need that for now. You know, I just need something that works really well and adds a little bit more to my overall experience. I have to say the 3D touch gestures that I use the most are the swipe from the left edge so you can you can see here, you can swipe from the left edge and get into your uh, multitasking. And I use that all the time. I think that is one of the most useful features on the phone. And when I select text now, I select text by pressing down on the screen and issuing that 3D touch gesture. And when I use an Android phone, I do the same thing now because it's become so ingrained in me. And I really, really hope that at least if, if Android OEMs are going to copy iPhone uh, in this respect, they do it uh, with a modicum of respect and copy the well, right Well, isn't it features. something, it's got to be something, you really want Google to implement this at the Android layer, right? You'd like to, but then they really, I mean, it, it depends because when Google releases a bunch of APIs for a new version of, of uh, Android, developers aren't as quick to adopt them. Uh, because they know that it's going to take months and months for even the first OEM sold devices to to receive it. So, you know, now, and this will be a good transition into the Nexus line, but now we have a bunch of phones that are just, just getting Lollipop. I mean, the Bell Galaxy S6, well, it's shipped on 502, but it's still now only getting 511. And we have this situation where there's still a bunch of devices that are waiting for last for the last version while the new version is rolling out. So I've been using Marshmallow on the Nexus 6. I like it. I think Now on Tap is really useful. I think that there's a lot of potential there. It's not as smart as I want it to be, and it's not as it's not as clear how it's going to change the way that we use our phones in the sense that it it it's more nuanced than something like 3D Touch where there's a tangible change to the way that you use your phone every day and once well, you adopt so, it. But the difference there is 3D Touch is, a, is additional context through action. And on the Android side, it's through information, right? So yeah, yeah. But give, it's me, an give me this map location or... Right. But what I'm saying is that that action is so important because you, 
you do it over and over and over again, and I think that uh, you get you get the same result, even though you have it, you may use it in different apps. There's a predictional, there's a prediction, um, uh, there's a predictable result every time you use it. Whereas mm-hmm. with now on tap, you don't really know what's going to happen. You know, you may get, you yeah. may you may assume you'll get the listing of a name or a some sort of um, news snippet, but you, I mean, I've used it dozens of times, and every time I'm a little bit taken aback at what data it's it's pulling out from that piece of text and what it's showing me. So I think over time, once developers actually start integrating the now on tap API, it will get better and more reliable. But now it's using the mobile web to just say, okay, I see a bunch of keywords. I see the word Douglas Soltis. Um, you know, here's some information on the the words Douglas Soltis, but it doesn't actually go into my contacts and say, "Oh, yeah. Douglas Soltis on BetaKit wrote this article." Totally, uh, you have him in your contacts. Here's his number. Here's the last thing you you guys emailed about. These are your last text messages. Like these are the kinds of things that uh, make a lot of sense when you're just trying to get information about somebody really quickly. Yeah. Well, that's what I was trying to say. So that that informational context is much more requires a lot more legwork to maintain the context, right? Cuz if it's if it's a button pressed towards an action, as long as consistent across apps, you know that if you if you perform that, you'll get an effect. It's very different from uh with now on top it all being about the type of information being pulled up and understanding how that's relevant. But I think, you know, this is a situation where similar to just uh Google Now in general, uh will iteratively become better and better and better as they establish more hooks um, to be just smarter about how to handle the information that they have. And then, as you were saying, to know, to know what that information is across, across um, different use cases, I guess. Yeah, I think Now on Tap is a much more epic feature. I'm not comparing 3D Touch to Now on Tap. They're completely different. But you're right. There's, there's something much more grandiose about tapping into the entire knowledge graph every time you just press down on the home button on your Android phone. And I yeah. can't wait until, you know, it's not, I mean, I spoke, I spoke with the project manager at uh, Google, uh, at Google, uh, who runs Google now, Aparna. Um, and I don't have her last name in front of me and I'd butcher it. And as you all know, if you listen to this podcast, I don't do, I don't do good with names. Yeah. I don't do names good. So uh, she explained that now on tap is very deliberately limited right now, and that there's a reason it only has a few hooks because they really need to make sure that the the way people use it, and and they like actually the fact that Marshmallow is rolling out to a very few, very small subset of devices right now because then they can monitor how people are using now on tap and they can adjust what sorts of results they give you in the back end. So because as I mean, Google's so good at this, right? They, I mean, there's three kind of layers to, to Android, right? There's the base code, Marshmallow, Android 6.0 Marshmallow. There's the Google Play services that uh, they can update behind the scenes on all phones and that go all the way back to Froyo. And then there's the actual information that, they've, that they're accruing all the time and indexing and roboting and... Um, allowing you to search for on Google itself that doesn't it doesn't matter what OS it's platform agnostic so they have mm-hmm. all of these layers that they work with 
to make a feature like Now on Tap useful. But the majority of the information that you that you will glean from Now on Tap is, for the most part, uh, you know, controlled by them in the back end. So they really don't have to do much to make it better, just like they didn't have to do much to make Google Now better in the first couple of years. From yeah. a, from a user update perspective, it just got it just gets better over time. It just gets more useful and more accurate. Whereas Siri on iOS requires. I mean, to some extent, it gets faster because Apple's um, voice recognition gets more accurate, but they, it still requires an OS update to uh, improve in the, in the, to the user, for the user yeah. experience. Yeah, but I would say, you know, everyone gets that OS update the minute it's available, which is significant. Totally. Um, Absolutely. And that's, you know, why Google still needs to take control I would just be super bummed if I'm like, you know, a Canadian with a, a nice Sony phone looking at staring down the barrel of baby getting a lollipop update in the next month or so while Marshmallow's already out. To be and, fair, Sony has actually updated most of its devices. No, I'm um, sorry, just like as a random example, I'm just I am I'm an OEM Android user. I have this phone. There are many others like it, but this one is mine. And I gotta. I know. I'm getting. I'm getting last year's thing. Woo! And now I gotta yeah. wait for next year's thing, which might be a good transition to just talk about the, the, the Nexus phones themselves, right? Because if you want, if you want modern day Android, the minute it's available, if you want the future now, do you, you gotta want go the Nexus. best Google phone? Yeah. Without a bad camera. With buy the you- Nexus Six P. <laughs> it won't disappoint you. Do you want something that Probably. fits in your hand or something that does not fit in your hand? Do you want something that fits in your hand or something that fits in Shaq's hand? Do you want something that is the size of an iPad mini? Do you Patrick, know that Patrick I... took that photo and I almost lost my mind. The Nexus 6P is not, in, it's not as big as the 6. It's, it's, it's intimidating. Taller. It's scary. It's not. It's not. It's, it's not bad. Um, but did you know that Shaq is an EDM DJ? Did you wait until I put coffee in my mouth before you said that? Vice has this like ridiculous article where they, of course, Vice has this ridiculous article, but they they embedded a journalist with Shaq as he went to an EDM um, festival in in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and he he performed a set, and it was awesome. He's, the guy's multi layered. I mean, we knew he was multi layered. Rapper, but, you know. actor. Oh yeah. Um, Talented, yeah. talented. Hey, actor. shout outs to Lamar Odom. Thoughts and prayers going to that guy and his family. Seriously, hard, hard, uh, hard year that guy's had. Hard decade, man. That is. Uh, but okay, so no, so let's stay on top. Tech, tech podcast, tech podcast. Um, so these these phones. I know that we in the office have gone back and forth over the splitting of the Nexus line, but I don't think I don't think we're on the pod record about your thoughts of this, right? Why well, does those the world phones need two didn't Nexus really phones? Exist when we when we potted last, as most things didn't. Um, yeah, I, I think it makes sense now that I've seen both of them. It's interesting because you have to see it in the context of American pricing. And when you price out the Nexus 6, the Nexus 5X, and Nexus 6P in the US, it makes a lot more sense. 
because it's three fifty for the five X US and it's four ninety nine for the six P. Mm-hmm. Which and it's you know it, the six P is the flagship. It's metal. It's got a faster processor, more RAM, more storage, blah blah blah. I mean, all those kind of prerequisites for it for being a flagship. But at the end of the day, um, the five X, if you follow the way that the five has aged, and the Nexus Five, if you didn't get a you know uh, a version that you know was cracking at the seams out of the box because LG's quality control is terrible, if your Nexus Five has lasted the almost two years since it was released. It's actually a really fast phone still, and that's because Android, when it was when when Google released um, the Nexus Five, it really made a concerted effort to optimize the software for the hardware, and it's become one of those things where every year the Nexus phones just feel demonstrably faster than their OEM equivalents. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I've been known to kind of get into the weeds of Reddit for uh, of Reddit threads and. You know what I what I hear a lot when people talk about the the Galaxy S6, the Galaxy Note 5, they'll say this is one of the fastest phones on the market, but there's so much jank in the UX, in the UI, it just feels slow. It feels like there's so much Samsung, chud. There's just so much yeah, chud just, in the UI. Well, chud, jank, yeah. blocks. No, it was great. Plink, um, whatever. So so it's, my- it's one of those things where Samsung just can't get its head around mm-hmm making good android software i hear what you're saying i'm so i just think that my girlfriend's nexus 5 would disagree considering so it, yeah tell it, me you you've said that before and and i've I, I'm, I'm curious it so, acts like well, a what phone is it? so she i now this might be a factor is that she she is still a mobilicity customer oh so if we want to talk quality control i don't know what they're deploying in terms of builds but i would say it, her phone acts as if it's cursed. Okay, so first of all, it doesn't matter what carrier you're on because Google pushes the updates to the Nexus line. They don't have to do so, any sort of validation. There's nothing. No. So then, yeah. So, so then I don't. That her phone will just break. Things will stop working. Apps will do weird. And that was stuff. a well-known thing, but that doesn't seem. It's not a. That's not a software thing. That's a hardware thing. My friend's Nexus Five. His power button stopped responding. His screen started showing lines. Yeah, but not even like uh, that. Like, like contacts will merge and unmerge and will show two people at the same time. And like um, certain apps just won't work anymore. She'll have to delete them and reinstall. Like, like very specific things. Uh, we've been so I've been trying demoing the uh, the new Chromecast audio. Right. And uh, if you are an iPhone user. Not a lot of options for testing that thing out, so we've predominantly been using it off of her uh, Nexus phone, which is kind of one of the reasons why she got it, because she's a hardcore Google uh, Play Music user. And there are just times where that device, like, will just not stream audio properly. Like, it will just screw up the experience in a way that doesn't happen from my, either my iPhone or for the, from the laptop when I'm, when I'm casting. It, it just... It just Weird things happen. It's like her. It's like her phone gets tired every three weeks, and she has to go through a hard reset. Um, yeah, I I don't know what that is. I think, you know, I don't want to just chalk it up to random Android 
weirdness. But but it could be though, because like it, may, it might be. Because you know, say so. Uh, speaking of the Schmack and Taggart, she, or she she loved her Nexus Five, and I think a lot of people really love that Nexus device. And I think this this new this new lineup of phones satisfies. Um, uh, the two competing desires of Nexus devices, which is like, hey, we need a flagship Android device to like dictate what Android is and push the experience forward because we can't trust the OEMs to do it. Um, we need a f- we need a flagship phone. Um, and then there's a bunch of people who are like, we want a really great stock Android phone that's cheap and doesn't suck. And now you have both. And they don't, right, they're not the same phone. The, back when the Nexus 5 was launched, the Canadian dollar was almost at par with the U.S. So well, we got a yeah. phone that was $350. Yeah, we're, we're getting destroyed on the... The exchange is another thing. But just in terms of what you're talking about with pricing tiers, like, there are now... It, it's very hard to have one phone that satisfies every desire. There isn't, there isn't a, a phone manufacturer today, now, that makes... Only one phone. Apple, Apple no, but, was the last, or maybe Google was the last, right? Technically. Right, but I think that since the Nexus 5 was released, and we'll get back to the 5X and 6P in a second, but since the Nexus 5 was released, there have been so many great Android phones in that three to $400 range, and even, even cheaper. Like, the new Moto G is like 220 bucks in Canada. Totally, totally. a fantastic phone. That you can live with for two years. Even the Moto E, which is like 180 bucks, you can live with for two years if you really, you know, go crazy on the on the storage. But I think that's really what you know. When when the Nexus Six came out and people were like, "Oh, ne- Google's not updating the Nexus Five. It's not giving us another small phone." Mm-hmm. They started looking elsewhere. They went to the OnePlus One. They went to the Moto G, the Moto X. Uh, you know, LG, Samsung, they've been releasing some decent mid-range phones. But at the end of the day, people want Nexus phones. There's a small contingent of hardcore Nexus users that want, and they know what they're getting with the Nexus line. Yeah. With with uh, the Nexus 6, that was an aberration. I think we know now in retrospect that that wasn't actually supposed to be a Nexus phone. It was supposed to be part of the Android Silver line, which never actually took off. It never came to fruition and they peeled that back they peeled that that program back they decided the nexus 6 would be that year's flagship device and then reset for 2015 and that's why we have yeah. two devices this year because i think that they had the intention of following up the nexus 5 with a similar sized phone the entire time and then they got huawei in bed and they said or Huawei got them in bed and said, hey, we really want this. We really want to cuddle with you. It was consensual, we, guys. No matter who collaborate. initiated, yeah, yeah. it was consensual. Consensual cuddling. Yeah. Synergies. So, um, yeah, and, and, I, and I think they tried to get as much about the two phones similar as possible. So, yeah. Well, but the thing yeah, is, it doesn't have to short... be similar. It just has to, they just have to be... They just have to satisfy the two different needs of Android users, where there is that that core contingent that you're saying that just wants like I want that cheap, good, reliable, durable, trustworthy phone, and then someone who's like I want the best phone possible, 
and I'm an Android user. Right, but those things are not mutually exclusive anymore. They don't. That the whole point of <coughs> Android's maturity is that they've realized many many of the OEMs have realized that Apple owns the high end, other than Samsung, because Samsung is stubbornly and and rightfully so still going after that high end market. But a lot of the OEMs have conceded to Apple and Samsung, and they say, okay, we can't capture anything in the seven to eight hundred dollar range anymore so we're going to go to the middle we're going to go where motorola is really excelling totally. and we're going to hit that three four hundred dollar range like devices like the alcatel one touch idle three the asus zenfone 2 the moto g even the new moto x play is like 400 bucks you know we have a lot of devices in that mid-tier range that overlooking a few quibbles and you know we're a critical bunch so we are supposed to really you know look hard at those at, at those faults but most people you know picking up a moto x play are not going to go oh it has a it only has a snapdragon 615 and that adreno 405 gpu Don't get that wrong man that's underpowered. no yeah no i completely agree and sorry when i'm talking android here i'm not talking about like the whole oem ecosystem i'm not even considering the oems i'm talking about it from like google's perspective of like what we need to release because as as much as the oems have given up on trying to compete in the high end except for maybe um, some of those who you met this week, um, the, so. the, the first, the first party manufacturers, Google and Microsoft are going the other way. They're in recognizing that the OEMs can't compete on the high end with Apple. They are, have been throwing their hat into the ring. Um, totally. And I, I, if you want to transition that into the Microsoft, what they're doing, because they're they've they've they're fully a hardware manufacturer now. They are like, we are going to. We we have learned lessons from Google. We have learned what didn't work. We learned what our OEMs can do, and what they can't do. And it is our responsibility if we want to get our platforms out there to release great integrated hardware that shows the capabilities, so people. When they call up an idea of their mind of this platform, they're thinking of the good thing, not like, ooh, yeah, I had a really bad Android phone before, even though it could have been one of those mid-tier, um, I don't want to crap on any company here, but like one of those mid-tier, dirt-cheap OEM phones. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. But what's interesting about the Nexus 5X and 6P is if you if you remove... What you remember, if you if you eliminate the price, the ax, the ax, absolute price from your mind of the Nexus Four and Nexus Five, and you take the current market into account with the new Canadian dollar reality of seventy five cents, the U.S. Ugh. dollar, boo. Then the Nexus Five X at four ninety nine is still a very cheap phone, because every new phone released from iPhone six S to for the next two or three years while the Canadian dollar sits at this 75 cent point or maybe we'll go lower um, be, until oil rebounds basically we're sitting at a 1.25 times pricing model over the US dollar so the Nexus 5X at 499 seems much more expensive than the equivalent 5 at 349 but in reality, it's not. It's not that much more expensive yeah. when you compare it to the high-end phones being released today, like 
the Galaxy Note 5. Totally. The iPhone 6S. Yes, yes. And even, even the Huawei Nexus 6P at 700 for the 32 gig model is a considerably better deal for what you're getting. I completely you're agree. You're getting... I'm not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying it's... We, just, we don't live in the time in which the, the Nexus 5 came out anymore, like, just economically. But the, the totally. 5X is at least a continuation of that vein. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah. So let's actually talk about the phones a little. So the 5X is built with this really nice soft-touch plastic. Uh, it's a little bit squarer at the corners than the 5. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I like that so much. But if you look at it from the back, you'll see that it has a very HTC One X-like camera bump, which I, I, I like a lot. I think that, you know... OEMs have to be aware that if they want a good camera in their device, they have to have a bit of a camera bump. <coughs> and of course, they want to minimize it, but that's the reality. A camera sensor needs to be big if it's going to have big pixels. And Google's really proud of the camera in these phones. They have 1.5 micron pixels, 12 megapixel sensors. Um, they have uh, really sharp lenses, f2.0 lenses. They've got what I think is a custom or at least a very, uh, it's not a largely used 12 megapixel Sony sensor. Uh, They have digital stabilization. Mm -hmm. They've got laser autofocus. I mean, these are are some serious specs. And what we've seen over the last year is, is this uniting of the Android ecosystem around its camera. They realized that there were two major facets of the Android experience that we're lacking a, a lot of seven them, years after the fact a lot of the android phones sucked at battery life they just did they were terrible and the cameras were always underwhelming but now there's a bit there's been a bit of a flip and you know we've seen both qualitative and quantitative results around the fact that the sony xperia z5 the nexus 6p the galaxy s the galaxy s6 and note 5 these actually have better cameras than the latest iPhones. And, you know, as much as Apple has an advantage with its app ecosystem, you can't say anymore that they have a, an objective um, advantage when it comes to optics because they just don't anymore. Yeah, I so I I think for me the thing that stands out beyond beyond the camera, um, and I don't want to get too in the weeds on cameras versus, like the a camera podcast is its own thing, but it's the the phone seems more beyond all the features which you notice kind of coming in, which is like as as components get smaller and cheaper, these things that used to be like high end features become um, kind of core competency requirements. Is that the the phone's a lot chummier? looking like a lot more consumer friendly like than previous nexus devices like it just looks like something that Which more one? people would kind of want to pick 6P? up and hold and have as their phone does that make sense yeah i think this is the year that the nexus cause, i mean if you think about it the nexus 5 had a pretty big carrier footprint in canada mm-hmm. so did the nexus 4 to some extent and the galaxy nexus i mean they're uh, the the nexus devices have had pretty good relationships with the carriers in Canada. But I think what's what's going to be interesting this year is to see whether they can compete um with the same at the same price point as the high-end Android phones. So, you know, you're getting a $200 Nexus 6P on most of the carriers, 
will it will people choose the the Huawei Nexus phone? Do they know about do they know the brand over say a Galaxy S6 which may cost the same mm-hmm. amount? I'm interested. Well, to actually know. so just going back to that I just remembered so we had talked before about Huawei and this being kind of like a foot in the door to North America. Um just thought like any any pickup anything on like people having more brand awareness of them or maybe being interested in future phone Android phones made by them because of this? Like did they pass the test? Huawei's never really been a big OEM in the US because most carriers are um reticent to stock their devices, especially in the postpaid market. They've provided a bunch of prepaid phones before. But in Canada it's it's a little bit different. They they have great relationships with the carriers. They haven't had a lot of flagship devices, and they've been conservative in which phones that they they release. So they they'll they'll release a couple of low end hundred dollar outright phones on Bell or Virgin mm-hmm. or something. But this is the first time we'll see a really high end Huawei phone in stores in North America, and it speaks to the fact that I think. This is how they make their mark. Even if the Nexus line never sells in the millions, it'll always get more publicity. It'll be the the out the the publicity, the media attention itself outpaces the actual sales numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's disproportionate. It's a trust we, factor, we report right? on the Nexus, yeah. But we report on like just from our perspective, we report on Nexus phones disproportionately compared to their sales numbers, right? So. Mm-hmm. We are, you know, we we have to go where our audience is. A lot of our audience is Android, and a lot of our audience knows about the Nexus uh, product mm-hmm. line. But you know, I did this experiment. If you read my OnePlus Two review, I went to Young and Dundas Square, and I asked a bunch of random people, "Hey, do you know the iPhone?" Everybody said yes. Do you know the Gal- the, the the Galaxy S Six? Do you know Samsung? They said yes. Do you know the OnePlus? Uh, do you know OnePlus? Do you know what the OnePlus 2 is? Only a couple people actually said totally. yes. And, and it was really interesting to hear that because we think we report on, on, on OnePlus just because they're this loudmouth company that has no marketing budget, so they make a stink about everything, and it's been very effective. But what that does is it conveys a disproportionate amount of coverage for a company that in the real world, very few people know about. So if you if you ask the same about the Nexus line, it may be a, there may be a bit more mind share in Canada because the Nexus product, the Nexus line has been sold in carrier stores for the last four yeah. or five years, but it's still not nearly to the same level as the iPhone. Totally, but again, we've talked about this before. That's why Nexus is so important because for the average person who would think about it more as Android than the specific OEMs, Google needs them or hopes for them to be looking at the best possible version of that product line in their mind when they think of an Android phone. And they might not know it's a Nexus, but like, oh yeah, the Google Android phone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. That one's that one's nice. Um, yeah, I think they'll they'll. I mean, if they know about it, they'll say, "Oh, that's nice." And then they won't buy it, especially if it's if they don't consider it cheap. And I think the reason that most people bought the Nexus Five was that a lot of the salespeople at carrier stores were like, "What do you want?" They're like, "Oh, I I just want to I want a cheap mm-hmm. phone. Do you want the best cheap phone? Here's the Nexus Five. Totally. That's the conversation a lot of salespeople had with their potential yeah. customers. And they probably had the lowest return the rate 5. of any of the phones. Oh, I don't know about well, that. Well, so that build quality comment aside, but like. If you're, if you know that you're giving just, them, if you want an Android phone, you don't want to futz with the settings, and you want a decent out of box experience, the Nexus line will get you probably the closest out of any Android totally. phone, except for maybe the Motorola, the the Moto X, and and those phones because they run stock. Yeah. Um, do you want to? While we're on Android, let's talk about the BlackBerry Priv. Okay, because this is something that. The last time we spoke on the pod, it was still the Venice. We knew that it was coming, but we didn't know when. Now we have a lot more information, including a bunch of squandered demos by John Chen. And uh, I think that a lot of our readership is really interested in this phone. If only because it's a well-loved brand delivering a product that they've been that a lot of people have been hoping for, you know, praying for for mm-hmm. years, right? This is this is sort of a wish fulfillment product for many people. Uh Yeah. I think there's a lot of interest in it. Uh, I think I think when whenever you have like um hardware manufacturer now makes Android phone thingy, there's a lot of interest there. Uh, I think BlackBerry always still garners a lot of attention whenever they have a piece of hardware out, whether that's you know um, earnest interest or opportunistic interest to maybe slam it or criticize it or fill column inches with saying you know here's another reason why these guys are still still out of it. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting phone. It looks. Uh, some people think it's really sexy. Some people are really excited about the keyboard. Some like. I I, I don't know. Sorry. What in what context are we going to have this conversation? Because. I. You look nervous. Well, like there's so many. It's not nervous. It's just. Are we going to blow up the internet? Or are we going to? What are you What are you hiding? Am I, I'm not this? hiding anything. Um. You probably you probably have a pri- a priv next uh, to you right now. Hey, my privilege, my privacy. Um, what, like, do we want to talk about the phone, or do we want to talk about how BlackBerry continues to screw this stuff up? Let's spend the next five minutes talking about this, and then okay. we'll move on because we're we're gonna know a lot more soon. Very very. You shortly. can you can sign but, up for email updates of priv news. I read that on Inside BlackBerry. So the Priv is, um, we, we know that it's going to be um, running Android 5.1.1 out of the box. It's going to have a 5.4-inch 2560 by 1440 pixel display. It's going to have a Snapdragon 808, 3 gigs of RAM, 18 megapixel camera. I mean, these are 
specy specs, mm-hmm. right? These are specs for people that love specs. But at the same time, BlackBerry is not going to be marketing this just on its specs alone. They're going to be talking about the fact that it has a QWERTY keyboard, the fact that it has DTEC, and DTEC is something that I've learned in the last few days, is going to be a comprehensive suite of BlackBerry security products. And it's also going to allow... Separate from their other a, comprehensive this, suites of security products. This is, gonna, this, is a, this is a world exclusive. You're hearing it here first. So the way that the BlackBerry Enterprise s- service is going to communicate with the, the Priv is it's going to think of it as a BlackBerry 10 device. It's going to treat it like a BB10 device because DTEC has, uh, it, it assigns a special key to each BlackBerry uh, Priv that allows the BEZ server to communicate with it in the same way as a BlackBerry 10 device. So, so what that means is that BlackBerry doesn't have to install and create this entirely new security layer uh, in the back end just for Android. Because obviously Bez, what is it, Bez 10 or Bez 12 rather, does communicate with Android, but it's not quite as extensive. Yeah, so it's not necessarily creating as... entire new security. It's more that they can take advantage of built-in security layers that Android phones normally can't because there is nothing like this on, they have, they have no root level or OS level kind of control or policy stuff, right? Right. So this, this gives them that same level of, uh, of secure Android control without having to change the underlying OS yeah, and, and gets The same way that Samsung uh, uses Knox on the Galaxy line, mm-hmm. this is going to be Knox for yeah. BlackBerry. Um, and, and eliminates all of those horrific dual boot scenarios that only the deepest of the forums uh, would crave. <laughs> well, it also allows BlackBerry admins to control... If they have a suite of mixed devices, if they have a bunch of um, passports and leaps and classics, as well as a bunch of pr- mm-hmm. privs assigned, they don't have to uh, administrate them separately. They can, they can, um, they have the exact same feature set, the same administrative rules that can apply to all of these yeah, devices they... without having to create special, um, special templates specifically for this. They Android hopefully, phone. yeah, they don't have to treat it like an Android phone, in the way that Bez, Bez exactly. twelve would and... treat an Android phone like an Android phone. And that's a big that's a big deal to some people, especially if Chen wants this to be adopted by the. It's a big deal um, to the only people that the they sell phones world. to, which are enterprises and um, IT admins who want to deploy this without a headache. But it's yeah, it's it's a, it's well, it's a big deal to sell to their to their customers who are running Bez ten or Bez twelve, um, and know that it's not going to be a nightmare to deploy. So they, they can give their CEO, hey, you want an Android phone? Here's your Android phone. It's also a BlackBerry phone. Get out of my face. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, 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 I would almost say crucial to their sales strategy um, based upon what they're offering. And it's also, it's also going to be crucial to the carrier sales strategy, right? Because I think that there's this preconceived notion in the enterprise world that Android is inherently insecure. And Samsung's done a lot to try to counter this argument, but Google's also tried a lot of of different ways to counter this argument. Uh, Android for Work mm-hmm. is still it's a burgeoning, uh, slowly building product, but it's not nearly as popular as I think Google would like. Of it to which BlackBerry is a participant, and right? If, 
It it is absolutely, and every all of the OEMs are participants. But there's um, there's something valuable about having the BlackBerry name still behind this idea of security. I think that's really one of the f- one of the last bastions of goodwill that BlackBerry can 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 get away with, in the sense that they say, you know, with with no um, with no trepidation, we are used by governments by fortune 500s and we don't you know we we don't get hacked we we are great under under pressure we are great at security we're great at privacy and you want our suite of products and if you buy a blackberry branded phone whether it's on android or blackberry 10 we can give you that same experience yeah, I, I now, but going to the selling point though, that's the because the device is called the Priv, and I don't think while direct sales, like there are people that understand this stuff, I don't know if the carriers are even going to kind of touch that messaging. Like they'll say security, but like it's it's all about the, the problem with this stuff is it's all about the underlying details and really technical stuff um, that that don't that don't ladder up in the way that, hey, the camera's good now, is. Um, so when we're talking about sales, did uh, Chen, Chen had set some sales targets for this thing. Um, well, he wants to sell 5 million units. Which is five times what they've sold in a year? Well, they sold 800,000 devices, or they, they sold through 800,000 devices last quarter. Oh, shit, really? Which is not a lot. Um, so that would be, so they want to sell basically 50% more than they did last year. They want to sell 50% more of this particular product. I thought he just said, I thought that was, I thought the target was just for handsets and not specifically this. It can't be because it can't be because the ASP of BlackBerry devices is like $280, right? So. I'm thinking the Priv is going to be an $800 device. This is going to be a, a passport-level device. The ASP, for them to make a profit, I'm guessing the ASP has to... Their margins have to be much higher no, no, than no. they are No, no, no. But today. I'm just saying, when he said that target of how many phones he wants to sell next year, was he specifically referring to how many of this phone I want to sell or of BlackBerry smartphones in total? Because I would... I'm supposing, and I think I'm pretty accurate in this that this will not be the only phone that they release for sale next year uh i don't know about that i don't think well i mean who knows but the <laughs> i don't i don't think um, so you know what's the point of continuing to iterate on their blackberry 10 daniel i gotta um, i have to do some platform. work this weekend I have to, I have to do, yeah, I have to I'm to, sure you do. And I'm sure that they will release a bunch of other phones, but whether or not they're going to continue with a bi-platform strategy or whether they're going to go whole hog into Android uh, remains to be seen. Yeah. And whether, would that even be a good idea, right? They're going to continue releasing security patches for BlackBerry 10 indefinitely. But if they are saying that Android will provide the same user experience with the same app uh, ecosystem that most that all other Android users take advantage of today, 
Well, so then what's the point of of continuing so, R and D? But the detecting, so like, they, it's still they still don't have root level access to Android in the way that they do with BlackBerry Ten. Like, there's there's a lot of stuff that they do security wise that happens like before anything else happens on a phone that I'm sure they don't have access to in running. Like, or not sure, but would would likely not. Um, regardless, I I think but, you know. But here's phones, here's the thing: phones are built you're, you're... on three year cycles. So even with this coming out, there probably is some other BlackBerry Ten related device that might contribute to this. I just I just don't think I I think we we would have to go back to the quote. I don't I don't think this should be Priv needs to sell five million units next year, or BlackBerry's out of mobile. It's BlackBerry needs to sell 5 million devices next year or they're done with mobile. Slash walk it back, slash blog post, okay. slash Chen's too honest. Sh- sure, fine. But whatever, whatever the case may be, um, they, don't need to s- they don't need to come to market with new BlackBerry 10 devices in order to do that. They have, they're, they're still selling the Q10. True, yes, 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 yes. They're yes. still selling the Z10. They have the, the Classic, they ha- and the Classic is running now four-year-old hardware. <sighs> You know, this is this is a company that is not worried about keeping its devices on the market for much longer. The product cycles for these BB10 devices are three to four times longer than the traditional Android or, or, or iPhone cycle. I mean, maybe not iPhone, but Android cycle. And what we're seeing here is that they have every intention of keeping these phones updated. I mean, you know, all credit where it's due, they've kept the Z10 and Q10 updated to the latest version of BlackBerry um, with no qualms about performance, no, no effects on, on, on you know, features. Everything that they bring to new versions of BB10 come to those older devices. I can't believe so you said that was straight no face. There's no reason why they would... When was the last time you used the Z10? I mean, Real talk. I'm not saying it's a good experience. The Z10 looks like crap. The whole piece of... Har- the whole hardware is it's it's not good but my mom uses a q10 and she upgraded to 10.3.2 and it mm-hmm. runs well it looks way 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 better than than 10.1 and 10.2 so just that ui update the flat icons yeah. the you know simplified ux these are good things for the entire blackberry 10 ecosystem i'm not saying it's for me but i'm saying that there's no need for blackberry to keep pushing out um, money-losing hardware when they're going all in on BlackBerry, on, on Android. And they can continue selling the Leap and the Passport and the Z30 and the, you know, Q5. I mean, there are like six BlackBerry 10 devices out there, and it doesn't seem like they're going anywhere. Yeah, but I think at the end of the day, like, for them to get to the targets that they need to for mobile to be profitable, they have to release new phones. They have to release. They have to release right. new something because those previous devices that you're talking about that they could sell that the margins are now better on because they're probably super cheap. People weren't buying in droves in the first place, right? But then why are they? If they release a classic two or a passport two, why are people going to buy that? What is the purpose if they're not selling them in the first place? Merely upgrading the hardware is not going to solve the problem that most people don't want to buy a BlackBerry ten yeah. device. As we go, as as Android and iOS matures and the app ecosystem chasm increases, 
BlackBerry 10 is going to become increasingly niche. Microsoft is trying to address this with... They're, they're a Goliath, and they're having totally, trouble addressing totally. this problem. And they, they announced two phones that I'm sure that they don't even care sell right now. They just need to have those phones available while they make Windows. So I guess the big thing here is, has BlackBerry entirely given up on its platform and is now just a services provider? Well, I mean, that's the one argument for BlackBerry continuing to release BB10 phones, is that they can create new pieces, they can create new software and use those phones as launching points for that new software. And that makes a lot of sense for them, especially if they can make that money back. It's just that it seems like quarter after quarter, they're not making that, you know, baseline bare minimum amount of money back on each product. But yes, I think that if they're a software and services company and they're buying, you know, they're, they're buying large scale, um, uh, you know, mobile device management, um, you know, companies. So yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that they probably will release new phones and I, I'm sure that they're going to try and beat their head against the wall to figure out how to make money in this really, really difficult mobile environment, but they're not the only ones struggling. I mean, we focus on them a lot, but Motorola is struggling. Uh, mm-hmm. HTC is really struggling. Um, you know, even companies like Samsung and LG are struggling. Sony is is dire, you know? So it's not a matter of, okay, BlackBerry can't make any money. It's like nobody's making any money if your name is an Apple. Well, it's if you're not if you don't own the platform, it's hard to profit from it. But if you so own the let, platform and it's not the best platform, then it's hard to profit from it as well. Period. Well, sorry, if if you don't own the platform that anyone's interested in. Yeah. Uh, well, so then let's talk. I think this is a good transition to Microsoft because they're a company that has, it seemed, really turned a corner and is implementing a, a really revitalized kind of strategy. And I think some new objectives, even when it comes to what they're doing from like top to bottom approach. Um, and I know a lot of this kind of extends outside the mobile SERP purview in terms of like beyond, beyond, beyond mobile stuff, but. I don't know. Microsoft is doing, making some moves. They're they're doing some things. Yeah, I I think Microsoft's doing really well, and I I also agree that something unexpectedly exciting happened when they unified Windows 10, because what they're what they're doing is they're making it a lot easier for developers to get involved in the ecosystem again. So even though, so I mean, let's 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 not cut ahead. Let's talk a bit about the actual products that they announced. Uh, they announced five major products, uh, two phones, well, three phones, but the third one's not that important. Um, the the Lumia 950, it's a 5.2-inch Windows 10 mobile device. It's got a Snapdragon 808, three gigs of RAM. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a spec house. It's got a, a great Lumia camera, 20 megapixel camera with OIS and an f1.9 lens. There's the 950 XL, which is the same but a bit more powerful. It's got uh, Snapdragon 810 and uh, same camera, but uh, it's it's a little bit bigger, 5.7-inch QHD display. So these are devices that are going to run Windows 10 Mobile. They've shown off in preview versions the software for the last almost year now. I mean, I think the first Windows 10 Mobile technical previews were available in February. and it's improved a lot since then. I'm running it on my Lumia 830, 
and I like it a lot. I think it's a it's a really nice looking, nice feeling operating system that has some clear advantages over Android and iOS. And if they can get developers involved, which they seem to be having an easier time doing now that there's a unified app platform, I don't see why this couldn't be popular again. What are those clear advantages? Well, I think that there's there's a there's a compromise between the closed off ecosystem of iOS and that uh, more customizable open palette of Android with Windows Mobile. Uh, I think that developing apps for Windows is actually quite a lot easier than than Android, and a lot of people that uh, and I'm not a developer, but from what I've heard, the Visual Studio Visual um, Microsoft's entire um, development platform, C++, seems to be a bit more well-developed. And at the same time, yeah, they've... Java sucks. And at the same time, they've added hooks for iOS and Android apps to be converted in a couple of different ways uh, to Windows. So we have the potential to see Android apps ported over. We have the potential to see iOS apps ported over, plus native... Uh, Windows 10 apps, universal apps that run on the desktop, tablets, laptops, and mobile without too much trouble. And I think this is their this is their big move for for mobile. But I also think that there's an acknowledgement within the release of these two phones that they don't really need to sell in volume because they're willing to build up this brand over time. You know that Lumia brand to them is important mostly in name. And I think the yeah, the surface the propagation of Windows 10 right now is more important than the propagation of the phones which would run Windows 10 right now. Yeah, and and I think the surface brand is going to take over that Lumia brand uh in the next couple of in the next year or or even sooner. So you you're saying we'll see surface phones? Yeah, I think that we'll see a surface branded phone next year. It makes a lot of sense. If you look at the way that the the way that they're trying to cover all of their bases, they've they focused on uh, the Surface Tablet. They sur- then then a larger Surface Pro tablet. Now they have the Surface Book, which is a full fledged laptop. It's a convertible, but it's a laptop. And now they have these Lumia phones that that almost look like they're separate from that Surface brand. And I wouldn't be well, surprised if if we saw the same design language. Um, that we see in the Surface Pro and the Surface Book move to the phones and Microsoft leaves behind that Lumia brand, they leave behind that Nokia kind of legacy of, um, you know, if you see that Lumia 950 from the back, you know that is a Nokia phone. You know, that is totally. the same design language that we've seen since the Lumia 800 or whatever in two, 2011. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. That just makes me, and it might actually be smart just because it, I'd be, you know, I think the Surface products are pretty sexy in terms of the hardware. Um, I think there's probably better brand awareness and um, sentiment when it comes to Surface products. Surprisingly now, that's a weird thing to say now, but it, it's true uh, compared to, say, Lumia. It just that just makes me so damn sad to think that that's like we're really going to end up at a point where 
you have the surface the surface book the surface tablet the surface phone and lumia is just like all all vestiges of nokia are just gone yeah it is sad but as, even in even in that moment i'm still thinking man a surface phone would look sexy right it looks so sexy it would. Um, and i think and it would have it would have a clip on keyboard isn't that cool <laughs> Oh God! Could you imagine? <laughs> Pro- uh, we see you prove, and we raise you a clip-on keyboard. It's a one hundred and thirty dollars add-on. But I, I think, oh I mean, Patrick God. Patrick O'Rourke was down there for us, our, our new um, staff writer, and he did a great job covering uh, all the products, all of the products. Uh, we didn't even talk about the um, the band, the Microsoft Band Two. So uh, yeah, but that's that's what that is what it is. Continuing experiment. We still don't know what to do with this thing, but we're going to make sure it tracks as much as possible. We're going to continue to iterate. The thing's going to disappear in five months, and then there'll be a band three. Like they, they don't know what it is yet, but they're continuing to be in the space. It's an experiment, and I think that it's yeah. great that Microsoft's experimenting. Yeah, totally. So what, I, what I'll say about the Surface, uh, about the Lumias, is that they have this Windows 10 continuum feature where you can plug them in. Mm-hmm. It uses USB-C. And there's going to be adapters for display, display port and HDMI, and you'll be able to plug it into a, a monitor and use these um, devices with Bluetooth keyboards and mice and actually have a fully-fledged or almost fully-fledged Windows 10 PC living inside your phone. And I think that's really interesting, even though it's running an ARM processor, an ARM chip, so that you know the only... Uh, apps that are going to be accessible are the ones on the Windows Store, so you won't be able to use fully fledged legacy x86 based apps. But other than that, I mean, we're far beyond the Windows RT point in 2012, where there was nothing available in the Windows Store. I mean, there's some great titles in there, and well, or just in the point where those apps were broken and terrible. Right. I mean, if they existed at all, they were pretty bad experiences. But now they're there's a lot of meaningful content on the Windows Store, and Microsoft seems to understand how to engage developers. I mean, I was at I was at Microsoft Build in May, and it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever been to to see like five thousand developers just screaming at the top of their their lungs whenever there was an announcement. Like these guys yeah. love love Microsoft, and they will live and die by Satya Nadella. Uh, this guy totally. has has completely f- not I wouldn't say fixed, but he's repaired Microsoft's reputation when it comes to developers. He's made some serious strides into moving Microsoft into a platform and services company with Office, with Outlook. Totally. They've made some very smart uh, strategic purchases with Wonderlist, with Accompli, and Sunrise, and I think that. They're going to start integrating them. You know, it's not just a company that cares about Microsoft platforms anymore. I mean, they are doing great work on iOS and Android. So, well, he's he's even said like I think um, The Verge did a great interview with him, uh, where he's talked about like he cares less about the manager of Office three sixty five squeezing out profitability for 365 and making sure that everyone loves office 365 like it's it, there it's he's i think he's kind of cleansed microsoft of that that 90s style 
We're an enterprise company who happens to peddle tech services to being like a tech company first that services both enterprise and consumer. Like they feel like a tech company now. Um, and you see it, you see it in their design, you see it in their approach, you see it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I still don't know if I would use any of it because it's hard to switch over. Or I, I don't know where I don't know where to jump in. Yeah, I've I've been using Windows 10 uh, quite a bit actually. I have a Surface Pro 3 here, and I really like it for the most part. Uh, it does a lot of things really well and better than than OS X. Um, and it's you know when you live on the on the web, it's it's easy to forgive some of those essential apps. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I rely on a few apps on OS X that aren't available on on windows but for the most part you know i have a an adobe creative cloud subscription so i can access lightroom i can access premiere pro and audition um really from my windows pc and have all my projects sync across to my mac um you know these the the essential services uh, evernote todoist the ones that i rely on every day they're either web-based or they have native apps for both Windows and um, OS X, and I never quite feel like I'm missing out. It's just the it's the it's the little things. It's the trackpads. Um, it's the jankiness when it when it comes to multitasking. When it comes to organizing your Windows, it's not a matter of it being worse. So you know, please don't like start with me about it being worse. It's just that I'm not used to it. I don't think that it's it's it's. I don't think it's worse at all. And I think that if you well, there if, are some components. Uh, Installing or updating Windows software is always a crapshoot and an exercise in frustration. Like fundamentally, that's that's when they're the most PC. Less, less so now. I have not had since the oh, off since, since since Windows ten. Since you were tweeting about it this morning. Oh no no no! That is something. That is something else. That is so. To give you a bit of context, my mom has a. Um, she bought a, a 2014 Dell. It's a in a really nicely spec device it came with windows 8 um and i upgraded it to windows 10 using the normal means i got the i got the prompt from microsoft saying hey windows 10's available i installed it and a couple of weeks later the computer crashed um it just wouldn't turn on it gave that uh, cannot detect a hard drive error when it loads so mm-hmm. they replaced the hard drive a- under warranty and this morning she texted me to say that uh, the hard drive crashed again after installing Windows 10. Then a Dell technician comes to look at it and says, oh no, this computer is not supposed to run Windows 10. It's designed for Windows 8, which is absolutely BS because every phone, every, every device that's optimized for Windows 8 is optimized for Windows 10 because they have the same minimum uh, requirements. And Microsoft mm-hmm. has made it super clear that any any device running Windows 10, uh, Windows 8 should be upgradable to Windows 10 without a problem. So it's that Dell's tech support doesn't understand what they're talking about, and they're giving her the runaround. And I think that it's a bad motherboard, or a bad piece of RAM, or something, uh, because if they've upgraded the hard, if they've replaced the hard drive, or my guess is that they formatted the existing hard drive. And if the hard drive is actually bad, then they shouldn't have done that. They just formatted it and reinstalled Windows 8. And if that's the case, then they're going to it's going to continue happening over and over Do again. Do you have the serial numbers on that? 
Oh yeah, I mean it's under it's under warranty. No, did you did you Oh, the, did the actual you remove hard drive the hard... serial numbers? No, cuz I wasn't there. She lives far, so I don't I don't have access to her actual computer. Yeah. See, this is this is the Oh man, I don't even want to get into this stuff. I guess so the beyond that, so you're basically saying in general that uh living in the Windows world is not painful, which is great. I totally get that. Uh I don't do a lot of computer-based gaming so that's that's not there for me but i totally appreciate that that's a thing i think for me is that i live in a google world that runs on apple hardware and i'm not i don't what's gonna make me go over well exactly like what's what's your incentive to switch google is so well represented on apple on on the apple ecosystem well, and then also not represented in the Windows ecosystem, right? Well, they're they're um, actively unrepresented unless you're on the yeah. web, unless you're on the web, which is different. now is is a is a tablet the thing that's going to get me there? No, is a phone maybe if it's like a crazy good phone. Uh, the laptop is that the end? Like, is the Surface the Surface uh, book the Surface book? From what I've seen is stunning, and it's really really well it's well designed. Um, but do I want to take off the screen? You don't have to. You, you, you should never have to. It's, it's a laptop first that has a detachable screen. It's not, it's not something that you have to buy the keyboard separately. Yeah. So I think Microsoft's addressing the major issue with the Surface and the Surface Pro is that the type cover is a separate purchase and that they're, they're marketing the Surface as a tablet that can replace your laptop. But the Surface Book is fundamentally a laptop. It doesn't have any of that, uh, you know, that kickstand craziness. It's just, yeah. it's just a laptop. And if you want yeah, to take just, the screen off, you can. It just seems still so hedgy. It still seems like, just make a, make a, make a decision and stick with it. But they did. They like, made I don't want to have to think they about said, that stuff. They said, we'll, we'll leave it to our OEM partners to create laptops. We are all in on two-in-ones. They've been saying that since 2012. Well, okay, yeah, and then they released a laptop. They did. Well, they didn't. I mean, they released a two-in-one. It's a. They believe that the future of the laptop is the two-in-one, and they. Yeah, that's. You know what that is? That's that's trying to not piss off the OEMs as much, and maybe some legal. There's a reason why it's called a book and not a laptop, right? Um, well, no, but I, mean, I, I still think. I think that's a bit conspiratorial of you. It's not. No, I. It's, come on, man. <laughs> Their bread has always been buttered by OEM partners. Exactly, and they have to they have to still be on their side. I mean, they're treading yeah. some fine water here. How how do they But they also realized that that wasn't working before, which is why they started making hardware in the first place. But it's not not working. It's it's a stra- Okay. Is it not working? I mean, are Windows 10 devices it, not it, sorry, selling it in wasn't. Volume? That's that's why the Surface program even started, right? That's why that, they wouldn't admit that. They want they did the Surface for the same reason Google started making Nexus products. They want the platonic ideal of the exact of, same of reason. hardware and software running together. And they They needed to make their own high-end product. We talked about this early in the podcast. So they're yeah, that not work PCs weren't selling anymore. Like well, I, I think they needed to create a template for OEMs to follow. And Google's Nexus agree. program did the same thing. If the Nexus program didn't exist, then OEMs would probably still feel free to bastardize their Android skins yeah. 
with garish features and totally you know whatever's and and part of that template involves a laptop whether whatever little dance they do in front of it to not upset manufacturers right like they didn't have to worry about upsetting anyone when they were making a windows tablet because no one was buying windows tablets and there was no windows phone oems to worry about that and then they bought the only one there are a lot of windows based laptops out there that are sold yeah and microsoft's not getting into the 300 hundred dollar laptop market they're going after the the high-end market they're going after the $1,200, $1,500 laptop market, which is very small. Nobody is really looking to buy a $1,500 laptop anymore unless you really want that explicit laptop. I mean, you know, the Lenovo Carbon uh, line is, is is really nice, but does it make up the majority of their sales? I would assume not. You know, they are, they're making their money from the, you know, the, the, the idea books and the, Lenovo, whatever the the Y ThinkPad, ThinkPad. Well, the ThinkPads are 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 still fantastic, but they're they're definitely aimed at a specific market. And I think we underestimate how many Fortune 500 companies and how many offices are still floundering on on older Windows hardware. Oh, I don't underestimate that at all. I was I was trapped in that in that life man that is it's not a fun life those those things those think pads are heavy they're big yeah Hence. can stop a bullet um but yeah okay so in in some microsoft yay it's cooler when there are more companies making moves and smart moves i just i just don't have you know i guess it's it's still the same thing if i had um if Microsoft had released all these services earlier, if they had made the switch in 2001 or 2005 instead of 2015, we might all just be still uh, Outlook users and things like that. But Google's got all my stuff. I can't... No, but I, that's I wouldn't because even... Outlook was a bloated piece of crap that nobody wanted to use they were just forced to use it i know that's what i was saying but well some people really love outlook but those people are crazy but today's outlook has been informed by microsoft's realization yes that's what i'm saying if they had realized that in 2005 when i was there was no such thing apple wasn't showing them up in almost every respect in 2005 but, but but google was no they weren't google didn't know design they still Google Google only didn't got stop people desi- from using Gmail or not paying for Microsoft Word because Docs existed. Right, but that was because Microsoft didn't have a viable online cloud-based competitor at the time. No, I'm sa- sorry, I disagree. That was their viable online cloud competitor. What, and I'm Hotmail? saying if Microsoft had made these decisions at that time, if they had disrupted themselves rather than waiting to be disrupted, I would probably be using a bunch of Microsoft services rather than Google services. Um, potentially, but I also think that they're, they dug themselves a hole with their Hotmail brand and they didn't transition people to live quickly enough. And they also transitioning to live is not a fun, it's not a fun experience. No, I mean, they, they messed up. I mean, Microsoft under Balmer was just a series of unfortunate events that led to him leaving. (laughs) And 
I think Microsoft now acknowledges where they went wrong, and they're still earning fifty billion dollars a quarter. I mean, these this is a thirty five. Oh, yeah, they have like they have like eight or nine billion dollar verticals that they yeah. And I I get that. I'm just saying, how how what's the thing that's going to make people just be like, yeah, man, I got to get some of that sweet Windows or that Microsoft product. I don't know. Or is Maybe it the just is book. it just yeah okay if if that's the thing it would what would be the what would be the first what would be the next Microsoft product that you'd buy first party first party i would I would totally buy a surface book if i had i mean the 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 problem is that um for what I do, I do a lot of video encoding I would need that twenty five hundred three thousand dollar surface book mm. uh, just like if I were to buy another Mac, I would need to buy a high end um MacBook pro, so it's a matter of you know I don't think. Unlike four or five years ago, when I transitioned from Windows 7 to um, OS X, and I found OS X to be so much better in almost every regard, I think today the experiences are comparable, and it's just a matter of figuring out which ecosystem you're more comfortable in. Mm-hmm. So I really don't think the differences are that, are that great anymore. A lot of what, micro, a lot of what Apple did with... Um, Yosemite and with El Capitan was to take the best of what was already in Windows 8 and Windows 10 and put it on a platform that it had been unifying with iOS for the last three or four years. So, you know, I haven't even noticed a single El Capitan thing yet. Like, I haven't noticed. Have you upgraded? Like, I, yeah. So I haven't noticed a new feature. To swipe, like, move your mouse really quickly. To find your your mouse cursor will increase. Whoa! It got bigger. That's pretty much the only thing. Okay. Awesome. Well, it's not, but you know what I'm saying. So I think we're uh, we're about to turn into pumpkins. Uh, yeah, we have four minutes till the podcast breaks. So we uh, we will leave it there. Uh, we are back, folks. We will do this every week if it kills us. <laughs> Literally, if we are dying in a ditch somewhere, I will take out my phone and record a syrup cast next week. Thank you so much for coming back. If you have come back, uh, if, if, you, if you aren't here, we miss you. So please tell your friends. Leave us a great review. Um, Baby, come back. Listen to Douglas sing. There will be more of that next week. Gonna pod for you. Yeah, I like it. Because I just can't pod without you. I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to shed a tear. I wish I had a bat to flip right now. <laughs> All right, that's it. See you next week. We love you guys. He was Peace. The bed with a miracle drug in What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 